disclaimer. The following content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. Hey guys, welcome back to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I'm Dave. Hey guys, welcome back to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I'm Dave as well. Well, anyway, today we've got some news and an interview with Robert Allen, executive producer of the animated series Bitcoin and Friends. For those of you who haven't seen it, Bitcoin and Friends is dark. It's very cartoonish and sometimes sick, uh, but hilariously satirical. I absolutely loved it. Uh, But before we get into that interview, here's what's going on in the Bitcoin world. The last few days seem to have been a turning point for the Bitcoin industry and how it will wrestle with the increasing regulatory pressure around the world. In June, the G7's Financial Action Task Force released recommendations that cryptocurrency service providers implement stricter KYC measures to track transactions and better combat criminal activity. These have been likened to cryptocurrency equivalents of the Travel Rule, a U.S. Bank Secrecy Act that requires reporting about fund transfers. In response, the FATF recommendation digital ID firm NetKey has introduced a retooled version of its Transact ID that allows crypto companies to comply with the rule while maintaining some level of user privacy. Similarly, blockchain security provider CypherTrace has introduced its travel rule information sharing architecture, its own reference implementation for complying with rules in privacy-preserving ways. As Bitcoin continues to grow and regulatory scrutiny increases, service providers will definitely be looking for ways to comply while maintaining the private and secure ethos of the technology. And this is proof that the sector can self-regulate. Well, if you've been out of the Bitcoin game for the past couple months, the one thing you need to know is that Bitcoin is growing. Amid a price rally that began in April, Bitcoin's hash rate has been rising steadily an indicator that more miners are participating in the network and at a more efficient pace. When Bitmain, a major Bitcoin miner manufacturer, launched two new versions of its popular Antminer 17 product recently, the inventory was snatched up within minutes. The Antminer S17e and the T17e offered some significant upgrades to previous models, and their activation in the space may drive the hash rate up even further. While network and regulatory compliance growth are critical to Bitcoin, a recent interview with the NFL's Russell O'Kung emphasized how vital evangelism and messaging is to adoption as well. Speaking with Bitcoin Magazine's Colin Harper, the Los Angeles Chargers' pro bowl left tackle described his own journey in discovering the power of Bitcoin and its efforts to get it added to the payment option for NFL players. Okung plugged his recent conference, Bitcoin Is, and stressed the need for the Bitcoin community to reach out to those who haven't adopted the technology with messages that will resonate. We talk a lot about mass adoption, but what does that really mean, Okung asked. If I could challenge people in this industry, it would be getting creative about how to get people involved. The 
animated web series Bitcoin and Friends launched this spring, uh, specifically in March, and up to date, it's released three episodes. And today we're joined by its co-creator, Robert Allen. Real quick, if you guys haven't seen uh, Bitcoin and Friends yet, just pause the episode and check it out on YouTube or the website. Uh, there will be some slight spoilers ahead. Ooh, spoilers. Moving forward, should we call you Robert, Rob, or Broccoli Rob? Um, I guess the adult name that I've gravitated towards is Robert, but, uh, you know, <laughs> For this, for the show, we thought it would be fun to just throw some silly names together. So, nice. Uh, whatever you guys want, really, I'm I'm pretty uh, calm about it. Okay. All right. Um, I'll probably go back in and out of different names throughout sure. it. Um, but okay. I mean, that's a, that's a good uh, start. Um, can you just sort of explain uh, to our audience what Bitcoin and Friends is? Yeah. So Bitcoin and Friends is. Uh, is a series, a cartoon that is geared towards adults, um, and it chronicles the story and the, the life of Bitcoin, um, where where Bitcoin is sort of a personification of the network. Um, that's the idea, and so we're starting uh, first episode when you know, of course, when Bitcoin is created is a good place to start. So we. We have Satoshi uh, with Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is on sort of an operating table. <laughs> right, uh, is brought to life, and then immediately is uh, starts puking up block rewards, which is kind of our way of explaining uh, how the the currency is issued and um, trying to differentiate between the network and the currency. And uh, you know, and so then Satoshi leaves, and Bitcoin has this existential crisis trying to figure out why he was created and why his father has abandoned him. It and doesn't really end. So <laughs> yeah, it doesn't end, you said? Yeah, no, the crisis is still going. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's incredibly dark. I, I, I love it. Uh, within the first two minutes, there are, uh, and maybe less, there are two suicides. Um, <laughs> what, <laughs> what, were you, what were you sort of going for there? Uh, well, I, I think we were trying to capture the um, the crisis uh, in the United States in terms of the economy and the, and the crash in 2007 and 8. Um, so we wanted to show the despair and the uh, the misery that a lot of people were living through. Of course, um, really not a whole lot has changed for a lot of Americans in, in that, uh, you know, the 10 years roughly since then, in spite of the, uh, you know, the current administration, you know, crowing about how amazing everything is. There's still a lot of struggling people, you know, out here in California, in Los Angeles, you have uh, just yeah. droves of people living on the streets in tents. And, um, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a pretty significant, uh, you know, decade long depression, in my opinion, but, you know, the media is pretty good at uh, trying to shape the narrative to distract people from that fact. And of course, the government and what you know every administration that is in office regardless of left or right is going to paint uh, with the rosiest you know brush that they can try to convince everyone that everything is great um, but yeah so we wanted to show that, that uh, the struggle that is very real for many many people and uh, and do it in a you know I mean comedy to me is really about um, putting harsh truths in front of people in such a way that um, in one way, it is funny, but in another way, it's terrifying. And 
um, you kind of have to, I think, thread that needle um, to make good comedy. It needs to really be a little bit shocking. So that's uh, I'm glad that we we did that for you. Yeah, there's always an underlying truth to comedy. Um, and right. you guys definitely went the uh, the exact opposite route. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. And And like, I guess it'd be oversimplifying it to call it a satire. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot that is um, satirical and, and that's uh, a type of, of comedy that I really enjoy. And I think Chris, uh, the, the writer director as well. Um, so I think that comes out in, in it, but you know, we also like uh, grew up, you know, watching shows like um, Monty Python. So there's, there's some of that more absurd kind of comedy that's mixed in there as well here and there. Um, so I, I, you know, hopefully, People see there's there's a lot of referencing of different uh, genres and types of comedy and um, you know we, we try to play a lot with with what we're presenting there to keep it hopefully interesting and fresh. Right. You know, now that you say that, uh, there's all sorts of pop culture references scattered throughout. Uh, I love the yeah. Men in Black reference in episode three. Yeah. Um, sugar water. Yeah. Sugar yeah, water. Yeah. More. <laughs> more. Um, <laughs> exactly. Has anybody brought up sick animation to you yet? Sick animation. Sick um, animation. It was a cartoon uh, internet series back in the early days, not early days of the internet, but like, I don't know, 2005, 2006. And uh, I just, there were a lot of similarities to that. Uh, you remember E-Bombs World? E-Bombs World featured a lot of their videos. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I got a lot of sick animation vibes in this. Oh, cool. Uh, I yeah. anybody brought that up to you yet. No, actually, you're the first, and, and I don't believe, I've never seen um, their comedy, and I don't think Chris has either, so that's uh, kind of new to us. Although I wonder, they're just looking now on online, the, uh, the, the art style does remind me a little bit of some of the stuff that Bird has done. Bird and Torres are our uh, chief or, or lead artist, I should say. Right. Uh, similar kind of style a little bit, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to take a look at that. That's interesting. Right. So, so, I mean, speaking of your artist, um, can we kind of just go back to like where this whole idea kind of gestated and, and where you guys sort of narrowed down your artistic style and the voices and all that? Like, yeah, was it, sure. did it start with one person or was it kind of like a group tank thing? Well, so the, the, I think the very first germ of the idea was uh, Chris and I were actually thinking about producing an advertisement that would have been uh, you know, like sort of an AA meeting with a bunch of different actors in these big coin kind of plush uh, costumes, if you will. So you can imagine um, all these coins sitting around talking about their troubles uh, in, in crypto land. And that was uh, something that we were in the middle of developing and then we ended up uh, just kind of axing it um, but that was, I think, the start of, of this idea of sort of personifying these networks as characters. And then uh, maybe six months or so after that, um, that project was abandoned. Chris, you know, talked to me about the idea of, of taking, uh, you know, kind of a cartoon approach. And, um, you know, he had the idea of Bitcoin as, you know, the network and then Bitcoin puking up the block reward. And bunch of other ideas and then so so Chris really had the the you know the gist of it already kind of down in his mind and then 
I started working with him on, on you know, fleshing out the direction of the show and other characters to include and um, so on and so forth. And, you know, it, it was apparent to me very quickly that, you know, A, the idea was compelling and fun and um, B, that there's so much rich content and, you know, historical good, interesting content in crypto um, and the history of Bitcoin that we, you know, we felt like, wow, this is just a huge opportunity. And it's kind of surprising that no one's actually tried to do something like this already. And um, yeah, so then I was sold from then on and we started working, um, outlining things. I've been traveling, living for quite a bit of time in Mexico, um, on and off and and doing a lot of traveling. So anyway, we were kind of working remote on it. And then uh, last fall, uh, I went out to uh, Utah where Chris was living at that point. And we worked for a few months on uh, getting episode one, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of further uh ironed out and and um and then we we started working on finding animators and uh birdian uh, was a friend of chris's from you know before and so that worked out really well because we already knew him and uh you know we knew he was a talented artist and so that was you know that's where the, the chris and, and he worked on the characters and and the design um, which of course has morphed a little bit like bitcoin um, in the first episode looks a little different than he does now in episodes two and three. So we're still kind of refining things. And, you know, ideally we'd love for the show to get picked up at some point by network, uh, to where, where we would have a little more budget and we would probably go back and actually revise, uh, the first few episodes. Um, cause you know, we're happy given the budget and where we've come from with it, we're happy with how things look. But of course, you know, as any artist, uh, will feel, there's always room for improvement. Um, right. So we'd like to, you know, to brush things up a bit. Uh, still, you know, it's, it's still early days for the show. There's been a lot of, um, you know, ups and downs, quite frankly, we've gotten sponsors. Um, but, you know, here we are right now waiting on sponsorship for episode four. So hopefully right. we've got some interest and we're talking to some people, but, you know, until someone ponies up the money, we may be waiting um, and we already invested a significant amount, um, around 40,000 in, in episode one. So we feel wow. like, you know, yeah, on our end, uh, we, we need to, you know, be a little, little, little prudent and cautious and make sure that we don't keep dumping money into something. Um, if there isn't a business model that's working, but yeah, I mean, so far it seems like the sponsorship route is, is going to work. Um, and we've been able to, uh, you know, get funding for episodes two and three that way. And of course, the idea being that we're, we're bringing eyeballs to sponsors and they're helping us to create the content through their, their sponsorship funds. So, um, so that's the, the approach that we're taking now. But again, you know, longer term, the hope is that we can secure, uh, you know, a network spot in some uh, capacity with maybe Adult right. Swim or Netflix or something like that. Yeah, there's definitely an Adult Swim uh, vibe there. Yeah. What's your process for reaching out to sponsors? We've seen like your um, donation page on the website. Um, it's very cool that you guys have set that up. I also checked out your marketing deck too. And yeah. that, that is a uh, really robust and just like very clear and like simple to understand. So, well, we have actually been fairly lucky in that, uh, you know, most of the sponsors, well, all the sponsors that have, given us money um except for one actually approached us and so 
Um, yeah, so that's, that's also been just very encouraging to see that there's enough interest out there that we haven't had to knock on too many doors ourselves. Uh, but Christian, um, who's done some marketing, one of the guys on the team, um, did reach out, I believe, to Celsius Network and, uh, you know, brought them on board. And that was really excellent. So, yeah, we, we may have to start knocking on, on more doors now as things are a little bit more uh, up in the air for this next episode. We might have to start pushing a little bit more. But, um, but yeah, generally, you know, the website, uh, we're actually having that redesigned right now. And we had uh, a company come forward and offer to do that for us. So we're really excited. Their, their design looks, you know, quite a bit better than what we currently have. So that's exciting. Um, and, you know, it, it, this is a big endeavor. There's a lot um, that's going on, obviously, to keep it all running. But thankfully, we've had a lot of people step up and offer to help us in different ways. And, um, you know, so we're, we're hopeful we'll just keep pushing ahead and, um, you know, day at a time and we'll, we'll make this thing successful, I hope. Right. And this you're planning to do this is an eight part series, correct? Yeah, so season one is is eight episodes. That's what we have planned, and we actually have we have the story arc um, and quite a bit of of the writing done for three seasons. And so, oh wow, that's what we're hoping at the you know kind of bare minimum. That's what we'd love to be able to do because uh, yeah, we've got a story that we we want to tell, and it it's going to take us some time. And of course, you know, I, you know, unless Bitcoin and crypto somehow die tomorrow, which I highly doubt. No. will happen. Uh, you know, it's possible that we could continue to produce uh, the show for many years to come if there's enough of an audience and we can make it, uh, you know, make it work um, financially speaking. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, for, for me and, and Chris, I think, you know, we've been uh, investing and following and, and working to some capacity in, in this space since uh, 2014. Um, it's been, you know, a real passion of mine. And, uh, it's just exciting to, to try to put something out there to help push um, this, this story forward and hopefully to connect with people who are maybe not um, as, uh, you know, crypto savvy. That's, that's our goal. So, I, you know, of course, the show has a lot of kind of little, uh, you know, hidden um, Easter eggs and fun things for crypto people, but our hope is that it'll eventually have a broader appeal um, and, and we can start to actually just, you know, entertain and then bring people in to Bitcoin through the show. And right. so that's really the goal. Uh, we, we do want to talk about some of the characters in the show. Uh, mm -hmm. But before we do that, um, you said you had three seasons lined up in your head or maybe on paper. Uh, yeah. Where are you at in the timeline of everything going on through season three without giving away too much, obviously? Yeah, um, so through season three, I think we would be getting through the, like the 2017 bubble um, or, or whatever you want to call that, but the, the mania phase there. The ICOs. Yeah, the ICOs, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> nice. We'd definitely be able to hit, hit on the ICOs. But, you know, of course, some, some of that's, uh, there's some flexibility there um, in the sense that, uh, you know, depending on how the first season goes and, and, funding maybe we only have you know when we only have funding for two seasons or who knows so i mean i think we're going to be flexible to the point of, of trying to get the story told but ideally three seasons would would give us um, you know enough space to really jump into all the different things we want to discuss and and uh, bring to the table um and speaking of your characters um <laughs> i got i gotta say one of my favorites is it's not vitalik it's metallic right 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 so 
there's sort of a duality with him where, you know, on one hand he's this, you know, nerd or like the whitest person on earth. Sure. Um, but on the other hand, he's kind of a big proponent of Bitcoin and is sort of the first person to figure out what B is. Um, you know, what was your approach when writing that character? Like, what, what are you trying to convey with who this person is? So Metallic, as you point out, is, is you know, technically minded and is the first person in that group to, um, to figure out what's going on with Bitcoin. Um, now, you know, we're, there's so much within the history of Bitcoin in terms of uh, hundreds and hundreds of people contributing code and, and running servers and everything so it, it's hard to you know in other words like we're, we're, tr we're trying to boil down sort of an archetype uh, of a type of person and and you know project that through one character um and so in some ways he's an amalgamation of of maybe a, a few people or a lot of people but um but in general you know we want him to also you know we're obviously sticking to some of of the history of Vitalik in the sense that, uh, you know, he was early on while well, he was involved with Bitcoin magazine, right? So he's been, uh, he's been in the space for a long time and he was primarily in, interested initially in Bitcoin. And then um, my understanding is he wanted to, you know, had some ideas for adding additional functionality to Bitcoin or additional, you know, kind of layer two type ideas and, uh, you know, got some sort of kickback from the community or, or sorry from the other developers some pushback and then he decided uh, and kind of got discouraged and decided to move on to ethereum and so that uh, you know you see that in the first uh, few episodes there where he's very excited and he tells bitcoin that bitcoin will be able to do all these other things aside from just being money and he's very excited about it and then and then bitcoin just kind of leaves him and so um yeah so we want to show uh you know, a, a character who, who's excited about Bitcoin, but also has his own ideas. And then he kind of, you know, hits this, this sort of impasse. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see, obviously, as the, the season goes, I'm sure, uh, you know, his, it's not, not to say that his relationship with Bitcoin is over um, by any stretch, but, you know, he's kind of got his own journey to take and uh, Ethereum obviously being a big part of that. And regardless of what people think about Ethereum, it has been, a project that uh, has you know made a lot of waves and is still you know number two in market cap or usually at number two I should say but um, so it's I think it's an important piece of the story that we wanted to tell and and he's the kind of character to help us do that yeah some of the references I got immediately um, like in the um, Harold he's sort of kind of like to me at least seemed like the bearish Bitcoin supporter like the guy who's always sort of a naysayer, but he's still kind of going along with it. And then obviously Ross being a libertarian. Yeah. Um, in episode three. Um, but some of the stuff went over my head. And I know like when you're doing something like this artistically, it doesn't have to fit neat, neatly in like, oh, I, I chose to make this character to symbolize this. Um, but I was just, I was curious about uh, generally uh, your take on like the character design and then also um, some specific things like uh, Litecoin coming from aliens um, <laughs> and, 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 and uh, Bitcoin just at the end of uh, episode three, just basically, you know, just getting getting in with the rich crowd and, and like losing his way and all that stuff. <laughs> right, right. 
Yeah. So, uh, well, I'd be curious to, to hear some of the things that you didn't understand or some of the stuff you felt was over your head. That, that'd be interesting. Um, so perhaps after this, but, uh, so yeah, Harold, uh, Harold is definitely supposed to be a cautionary tale. So he's, uh, you know, the guy that is generally skeptical, a little bit late to, uh, you know, to the late to the technology in some ways, and then tends to just make a lot of bad decisions. And, um, you know, so later on in the show, he's going to get into ICOs and start pumping. He's going to have his own YouTube channel where he shills a lot of stuff. And so it'll be fun. He's, he's a really fun character. Um, and yeah, I'm real happy with the, the voice actor we have, uh, voicing him is doing a great job too. So, um, yeah, kind of, again, an amalgamation of, of people in a sense or of, of, but, but generally speaking, kind of pushing in that direction of being a cautionary tale. Um, is what we're doing with him. Um, and then, yeah, Litecoin and the whole alien thing, uh, that, that was Chris and I think a really good idea and, um, you know, a way to obviously kind of pay, uh, you know, pay homage to, to Men in Black and kind of pull in some pop culture references. Um, but ultimately the idea there is that you know, Bitcoin and, and this, well, and maybe this is more my opinion than Chris's, but I think you know, first and foremost, uh, as a community that we need to be united in, in building um, a sound monetary system, because that to me is the main, um, the main innovation that Bitcoin is offering. It's not so much about fast payments or some new payment system, although, of course, I think that's going to be part of it. Um, but the, the idea that we can have a money that is uh, separated and divorced from government, um, you know, the separation of, of uh, money and state, that idea is, I think, really what is most important about Bitcoin. And so, um, you know, th there's a danger with, with projects like Litecoin where people can get sort of sucked into, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I missed the vote on Bitcoin, so I'm going to get into this other thing. And oh, I can only buy point whatever Bitcoin, but I can buy 50 of this, you know, this new coin. And so there are a lot of ways where I think people can get tricked into investing in projects that have probably very, very little uh, chance of success um, because of network effects and, and, and uh, first mover advantage. And so, you know, Litecoin is kind of a project in my mind that's a lot like that, where it doesn't really have a lot to offer aside, you know, in terms of anything new or different from Bitcoin. Um, so it's reason to exist is kind of questionable. And, uh, but you know, in the show, it's going to be fun because, you know, Litecoin is going to kind of be like the, uh, uh, like a, a crash test dummy for Bitcoin. And so they're going to, and, and that's maybe the, arguably the one redeeming quality of Litecoin is that they've used it to try uh, to test out some different upgrades like SegWit and so on. So we'll, we'll be able to kind of play around with that where, where uh, you know, Litecoin is going to kind of get uh, abused a little bit in, in a playful way um, as he's helping Bitcoin to succeed. Um, and, and I guess, you know, to temper all that, I will also say that I do think that it's important, of course, for people to have the freedom to try different things, to try different technologies. And so, uh, and I do think there's um, some benefit in, in having, uh, you know, more than one protocol that's existing and being worked on. 
Um, but, but, you know, do we need a thousand of these projects? I don't know. You know, it seems no. like there's, <laughs> things have gotten a little crazy. And so, um, yeah, so we're, we're trying to kind of thread the needle there too, because I would say we're, uh, you know, we're, we're huge proponents of Bitcoin. I don't know if we're quite as far as some of the Bitcoin maximalists would, would, would go, um, but we're probably leaning in that direction. And, um, you know, so we're trying to, uh, you know, to, to have fun, to show the, the evolution of the space, but to, you know, to not lose focus on Bitcoin. Right. And so that's, that's kind of that. And the alien part, I mean, that's more just for fun, but you know, I, I like this idea of Bitcoin potentially leading to, you know, a, a more advanced uh, civilization for humans. The idea that, uh, you know, if we can coordinate um, the economy more efficiently and with less fraud and less uh, theft through government, uh, money printing and coercion, then, you know, theoretically, we're going to all be much wealthier um, because, you know, our resources will be used more efficiently and, and that that's good for everyone. And so, you know, Bitcoin does, I believe, have the potential to really push humanity forward um, pretty dramatically, um, similar to, you know, kind of uh, the difference between, you know, pre and, and post industrial revolution. And so if that's the case and, uh, you know, kind of playing with that, that idea, if, if aliens, you know, didn't want us to advance for some reason, then uh, maybe they would try to muddle and confuse and distract and uh, keep us from, from uh, you know, embracing this, this new paradigm. And so that's kind of the idea. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back. So, Dave, you still living on the dark net? Yep. All day, every day. Do you really need that much privacy, bro? Graham, arguing that you don't care about the right to privacy because you have nothing to hide is the same as saying you don't care about free speech because you have nothing to say. Oh, uh, okay. I guess that's true. I'm telling you, man, too many spam emails. Targeted ads. I just can't take it anymore. Well, easy, Dave. Haven cares about your privacy. Have you downloaded it yet? Oh, yeah, I have. I've even sold a few stuff. Sold a few things. Like what? That's private. Okay. Well, for those of you who don't know, Haven is the world's first privacy-focused shopping app for iOS and Android devices. You can shop and chat with other users under the warm security blanket of end-to-end encryption. And you can buy and sell stuff using popular cryptocurrencies like Litecoin, Zcash, and even Bitcoin if you want to. I'm a holder. I wouldn't do it. I don't blame you, Dave. Tell us how the privacy works again. All your crypto data about your transactions, messages, and all your sensitive information is stored locally on your device. So, in other words, it's completely under your control. Yep. Haven uses advanced technology to keep your information private while being simple to use. You don't need to know how end-to-end encryption works or understand decentralization. You just need to know it works for you on Haven. Well, that's great. It also says that all communication is peer-to-peer and end-to-end encrypted. There's no middleman. And you know how I feel about middlemen, Dave. I can't stand them either, Graham. Their time will come. Their time will come. If you care about your privacy, check out Haven today. Go to gethaven.app slash bitcoinmagpod to get $5 in free crypto today. Again, that's gethaven.app slash b-i-t-c-o-i-n-m-a-g-p-o-d. That's a lot of spelling, Dave. Boom. Privacy engaged. To the moon! Woo!
going back to um, some of like the references in, in uh, episode, uh, I think it was episode two, where uh, uh, Bitcoin goes to uh, a libertarian festival and then uh, yeah. winds up in a, in, a, in a fight with the US dollar and gold. Right. Um, is that, uh, was there that any sort of commentary on like Bitcoin maximalism or maybe Freedom Fest since you did say that you, you've been to it? Yeah, I think for sure the uh, sort of inspiration for some of that was uh, was my experience in 2011 at Freedom Fest. Um, and overall, you know, we have a lot of love for libertarianism. I would consider myself to be in that category, you know. But it's also just fun to poke a little bit of fun at uh, at people. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, regardless of your uh, ideology uh, you know people are just strange and uh, you know get get pulled into well I mean I guess what I'll say is put simply uh, you know free thinking people um, tend to be very free in many different ways and uh, and sometimes you know they'll gravitate towards ideas that especially in the mainstream are going to be very very odd um, you know, like we have a guy uh, selling his wife's breast milk and, you know, so just kind of taking uh, you know, stuff that would be, you know, maybe a little more fringy, like, you know, like uh, there's the whole, you know, uh, unpasteurized milk uh, movement, um, yeah, which is fine. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't buy unpasteurized milk myself, but I mean, I, I know people swear by it, or at least the people that are in that category. So, you know, it's just stuff like that where, where people get kind of far out on a limb in some respects, and it can be kind of fun to just uh, poke a little bit. Yeah, that, that's, that's all we're doing there. Hopefully we don't offend anyone too much. I think you guys take a good uh, South Park, Rick and Morty approach where uh, to not offend anyone, you offend everyone. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the best way to go. Um, right. to, you know, if you're really trying to put out uh, – ideas out there and uh, you know because everything most ideas uh you know you can criticize in some way sure there's not really a lot of that in this space actually at least that comes from this space as far as media goes which is kind of yeah. interesting yeah i think that's exactly right and, and our hope is that in laughing at ourselves we can uh lighten up a bit and um because things were, were definitely and still are to some degree but um I mean, I feel like maybe a year ago is at its worst. You know, it's when the price is crashing and people are really, really pissed and it just starts to get nasty on Twitter and other places. And, um, you know, so, yeah, our hope is that people can have a little bit of a pressure release valve in the show and, uh, you know, have some fun laughing at themselves. Right. I mean, I've got to be honest. Uh, the whole thing was a breath of fresh air to me. Um, specifically, I'm just thinking about the battlefield that I call crypto Twitter. Mm. What was your approach? Like, did it have anything to do with sort of the volatility of the community? Uh, in terms of which aspect? Of just, you know, like taking this approach that's just, you know, very raw, uh, sometimes absurd. Um, everybody can laugh at themselves. Like, was there any, was there any time in the development of this that you're like, listen, we need to stop fighting each other. Let's just make something funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of what uh, motivated the show for Chris and I. Um, you know, again, not we've both been kind of more on the sidelines in terms of 
like I have a Twitter account, you know, I mostly just retweet, uh, you know, or, or like things like I, I, I tend to not, um, I, yeah, to not engage too much there. Yeah. I don't um, blame you. Yeah. Part mostly just because, uh, I don't know. I've never really, um, I've never been the kind of person who likes to, to go out there and, and make a big scene. Like I'd rather just work on projects that I'm interested in. Um, I mean, I do see as, you know, as time goes by, there definitely are benefits in having a Twitter following and, and engaging in that way. Uh, monetarily, for a lot of people, it can pay off. And obviously, for the show, we're trying to do our best to get uh, the word out through social media. And we have, uh, I think, 3,000 and change followers for our show now on Twitter, which is nice. So, you know, I see the, I see the utility. Um, but for sure, we, we were both just kind of... Um, a little discouraged by some of the, the vitriol and negativity. And, and, and I mean, I think there's, you know, of course, from the Bitcoin maximalist side, I do see the argument of saying, hey, you know what, we need to, to stand up and call out scams when we see them. And, uh, you know, not be afraid to, to say things that are unpopular or that that might be divisive if it's um, in the, the interest of truth in the interest of, uh, you know, maybe you know, discouraging people from, from getting burned. So I can see that. Um, but at the same time, I also see, uh, you know, I, I tend to come from the perspective, which is, you know, basically that markets um, need to be free and there needs to be a lot of competition there for, for the best outcome. And so, you know, I don't think we would be in a better place if it was just Bitcoin only. Uh, I think it would actually be, you know, Quite a bit more dangerous in the sense that governments would have just one single target. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think my my thinking is still evolving uh, with a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah, that's but, an interesting take, yeah. though, uh, to to say that you know if <laughs> if if there weren't other ones uh, like Litecoin, for example, for example, as you mentioned earlier, it'd be yeah. um, be a little bit more difficult, maybe. Yeah, and and I think you know I grew up. Um, in a fairly conservative, um, almost fundamentalist kind of Christian home. And I, I think I've seen, and this happens, you know, in many places and many ideologies, but there's definitely some danger when you start to get into a place where you've got an echo chamber and you're only hearing what you want to hear. Right. And, you know, you're only reinforcing your ideas. And so I, I see a little bit of that in, in the maximalist side, I see I see that in other places as well. Um, you know, so I, I think it's important to to put your ideas out there, but also um, to to be humble enough to to realize that hey, you know, you, you could be wrong. I mean, uh, you know, a bit as much as I'm very very excited and bullish uh, on Bitcoin, I don't know the future. I, I you know I can't predict what's going to happen, and um, so I think some some humility is. Uh, is in order, I think, sometimes with certain personalities. And so, but yeah, but poking and laughing and, uh, you, know, you know, bringing a bit of that court jester aspect to the space, I think will be helpful for everyone. So wait, where are you from and, and what denomination was your family? Um, well, my dad was, and my grandfather, uh, actually, we'll go back to my grandfather. My grandfather was a Christian and Missionary Alliance pastor in Ohio. Uh, that's where I was born. Okay. And, uh, and he started a bunch of churches and, 
you know, knew Billy Graham and so on and so forth. And then uh, my dad worked for CNMA for a while uh, before I was born. Um, and uh, he got out of Christian ministry and was actually a financial advisor and did like, uh, he had a series six. So he sold mutual funds, annuities and okay, like and, and uh, um, yeah. So the religious background, is that why you're so sick? <laughs> Um, I'm well, kidding. To, to I'm add kidding. to that, to add to that, uh, what Graham's saying, uh, my, uh, my dad's a, a priest. So, uh, okay. so he, I, I think what he means is like, are you, you know, there's like a, there's like a stereotype about, uh, you bottled up for so long. Yeah. 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 And then you create Bitcoin and friends. Feel free to tell I'm, Graham to fuck off. <laughs> yes, please do. No, no, that's cool. I, 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 trust me. I'm not easily offended. That was funny. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting. You know, my my journey in terms of uh, you know, my my ideas of spirituality is, is still uh, still in process, and I think like a lot of people um, who grew up in the church and left it because I definitely did um, for quite a while. And I'd still, I mean, I still don't attend church in any sort of regularity. Um, but you know, I went through uh, kind of a very angry atheist phase. I was actually very involved in in churches when I was in. Uh, high school and early college. Um, I, I used to lead, lead uh, you know, singing and devotional groups and Bible studies. And I, I was, uh, you know, very, very committed um, for, a, for a period of my life. And then uh, I think for me, you know, moving, I moved out of Ohio to New York after college. And I think that was really the beginning of the end of a lot of that thinking, um, <laughs> which, uh, you know, maybe was simply just a matter of putting me in a different environment was enough to do it. But, you know, I'd had a lot of, um, a lot of, what do you want to say, doubts. And uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, I think you could put me in the, the doubting Thomas category in terms of, you know, where I was just even, you know, even from a young age, I was always thinking like, well, this doesn't quite make sense or. I don't understand why why this literal interpretation needs to be, uh, you know, the only interpretation and that sort of thing. Right. Um, you know, and, and so I would say the religion that I grew up with was was very legalistic in the sense that there was you know a very prescribed way of living. Um, but you know, in hindsight and, and seeing it now, I, I see a lot of it being very arbitrary. Um, but you know, it's interesting though too because I, I went through a very like I said, a kind of a very dark atheist phase where I would definitely say that I was probably the most um, kind of angry that I'd ever been in my life during that period. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it was really because I, I had, you know, I attached myself to rationalism so strongly that um, it was very easy for me then to judge anyone that did not subscribe to, to my very literal rationalistic view of the world um, as just being an idiot. And so then I just was walking around thinking that most of the people I talked to were just total idiots. Um, <laughs> and that, and that, you know, that's a very uh, unhealthy way to, to live. Right. You know, it's probably a good way to get cancer or something, you know, if you're. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's obvious that uh, going through all of that has made you a funnier person. And like the, the whole existential dread that Bitcoin faces throughout these episodes is, Freaking hilarious! I mean, 
like the well, it's song. sort of like a religion too and, yeah and you're right a lot of the most funny people were like so suppressed that they just exploded and then suddenly like they have this crazy flipped viewpoint of the world because they can actually associate with that suppression yeah right yeah sure yeah, sure. yeah. Um, i'm not laughing at you during that i'm laughing because i went through a very similar thing in my life um I was raised Lutheran, which is, I just call it lazy, ca- uh, lazy Catholicism. Yeah. Yeah. Guilty Catholics. <laughs> Guilty Catholics. <laughs> uh, yeah. So no, I, I, I thought that was interesting. Um, some of my, some of the funniest people I know were like hardcore Catholics or Lutherans, uh, a couple of Baptists here and there. Um, sure. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. There's no doubt that, that, that upbringing uh, for sure shaped, you know, Chris and I quite a bit. And I think you could probably see some pieces of that. Actually, back to one of your other questions about, you know, Bitcoin kind of going through this uh, hedonistic phase where, you know, he's buying friends, um, you know, feels a little bit like, uh, you know, sort of a prodigal son kind of thing. Right. And, uh, and that's, I think, you know, of course, on one level, um, we're kind of echoing some of the history of Bitcoin with the early, you know, dark, uh, dark market usage and so on. Um, but of course it's also to fun to just, uh, bring a character into a situation where, um, and I mean, I think bottom line is a lot of people we've all, most people I should say have probably had experiences where, you know, where they felt, uh, let down by people that they thought were their friend for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, so in a bigger sense, we're, we're really trying to, to make Bitcoin into a, a character that is relatable to, to people. And, um, and so part of that is that he's struggling, um, you know, to find his way and, and he gets let down quite often by different people. And in like, a, like a, you know, young child, he's naive and innocent and, uh, you know, he can't lie because he's a mutable public ledger. And so it's going <laughs> to be fun to keep playing with that. I, I do think there's going to be a progression where he's going to wise up in some ways and mature, um, but we also don't want to lose some of that innocence because I think it's, um, well, you know, like Jesus said, if, if you want to come, come, come to me, you have to be like a child. And, uh, I think that's, that's, uh, you know, while I, I'm not, uh, you know, a Bible believing Christian, I, I find myself thinking a lot about, uh, scriptures and, uh, and ideas from the Bible. Anyway, uh, it'll I be, agree. I think, I think yeah. the general, uh, the the just the way that it was created it was supposed to be for wisdom and it just got bastardized over hundreds and and thousands of years but um i digress yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah uh changing tax a little bit um so chris you keep mentioning chris um he's your co-creator from what i understand and on the credits he's uncle chris right right Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about um Chris, and then also y'all's uh, writing process together for the episodes. Right. Sure. So, uh, well, Chris is my brother. I think I mentioned that before. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah he's my younger brother. We, uh, so, you know, it's, it's easy to work together in many respects because, uh, you know, we're, our brains are, are pretty similar. You know, it's, we have the same, uh, same family history, same experiences to some degree. So I think that that helps a lot in terms of the writing and and uh, you know the fact that we have a similar sense of humor um, and so on. So it, it, it's really definitely been a lot of fun and fairly uh, fairly easy to work on the project with him. And I think part of that is because we're brothers. 
Um, but, you know, Chris started, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again, you know, I think he really uh, was made to, to produce, to write, to, to create this show. Um, his life journey really was a lot of things that set him up for it. So, you know, for example, he was really into comics growing up when he was in elementary uh, school and he had like all of the, um, oh, uh, Calvin and Hobbes. He had tons and tons of Calvin and Hobbes books and, and other comics. And, you know, so he would, he would create his own comic strips and uh, was very uh, diligent and prolific in doing that. Um, then he started getting into writing screenplays when he was, uh, I think, senior year, junior year of high school, actually, and um, has been writing and, and producing, you know, independent um, films since since then. Um, cool. And, uh, you know, and, and like, for most people, you know, it's been a journey. And, uh, you know, I've seen him grow as a writer and director and uh, creator over that, that period of time. Um, and, and, you know, he's really starting to, I think, to come into his own in terms of kind of the, the perfect, um, perfect storm of different past experiences. And obviously his interest in Bitcoin and all this stuff culminating in, uh, in, in this show. So yeah, it's, it's interesting where, you know, the, there are a lot of examples, I think, where we don't realize the, the, the journey that that's required for someone to get to the point where they are successful. We just see the, the success. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we don't see all the, all the struggle along the way. So it's, it's, it's fun to be in a position where I can see, and his diligence uh, paying off, but you know I've seen him working and struggling for years, um, and it's really tough to make it in in entertainment because yeah, it's, it's a really bloated market. There's there's just tons of stuff out there, um, and of course you know we're we're still early stages with this project, so who knows? I mean, we may not even finish the first season. I, I surely uh, hope that we do. Right. But, well, um, I I actually come from a background in film and television. I was out in L.A. for a number of years Um, so I can totally relate and uh, I I can tell just watching this series that there is a lot of love and production value put into it Um, thank you how big is the team Um, I I tried to watch all I tried to like take mental note of all the credits but I I I couldn't really tell if it was like in-house or if you're like outsourcing work can you kind of like walk us through what your pre-production to like completion looks like yeah, yeah. So, um, so the core team, I would say, is uh, Chris and I and Jake, um, Jumper Jake in the credits, okay. who's done production work and also voices, uh, Metallic, um, uh, the, well, the grandpa from the first episode, and then also the grandfather, who is, you know, the Don Cornhole, as, as we call him, but uh, yeah. And then um, a few other characters as well. So he's done quite a bit of the voice scene. Chris, Chris does Bitcoin and uh, a bunch of other voices. Okay. And, then, um, and then Bird, uh, Birdie and Torres, who does, uh, who's our lead artist um, and has helped you know, with, with creating the characters and the feel of, of the animation and so on. So that's, that's the core team. And in terms of the process, um, and then we have, we have uh, animators and illustrators that we've been paying to, to bring this thing to life for us, but I'll get to gotcha. those in a second. So, yeah, so obviously writing the script is first, and well, before that is, is really the story, and so 
you know, uh, Chris and I have been outlining um, and, and working on um, a story outline for a while now, and obviously that can change and be massaged as we go. But we've got we've got the the big arc there for the first three seasons in place. Um, so then, from the story outline, Chris will will you know write the first draft of the script, and then typically uh, I'll come in. We also have a, another guy, a friend of ours, uh, Zach Amundsen, who's also been uh, starting to get involved in writing. So at that point, you know, we're, we're putting input and, and feedback into the script. And then occasionally I've, I've done, um, like episode two, I did some writing in there. Uh, some of the speeches from, from Ross uh, I wrote. So, you know, so I contribute where I need to. I also um, have helped a bit with some of the technical stuff and making sure uh, that we're, we're, you know, fairly accurate and true to the, the technology and, and, and how it works. And, uh, some of the lingo and jargon and so on. And so then once the script is in place, um, then Chris creates an animatic, which is basically, well, he creates storyboards and then puts those into an animatic. But basically it's storyboards with, uh, with you know, voicing and uh, music and sound effects on top of that. And so from there, we're able to get a pretty good idea of, you know, kind of the timing of jokes and the timing of scenes and, and the flow of everything. Um, and that obviously gets worked on and reworked uh, several times until we're happy with uh, with the animatic. And then from there, we uh, we give that to well, I should back up. So then Bird is creating the uh, the puppets. So we're using uh, Character Animator, which is an Adobe program. We're starting to use that more. We also mm -hmm. use uh, Adobe Animate, which used to be Flash. Right. Um, so flash animation or Adobe uh, animate animation is very, very slow. You know, it's frame by frame animation. Um, and so we've had a team of guys, most of them are in the Philippines that have been doing the animation for us. Um, we've got some really talented uh, guys involved there. And, uh, and then we also have two main illustrators that are doing our backgrounds for all of the, the different scenes. And uh, so typically the backgrounds are done quite a bit ahead, of course, of the animation. Um, and so then basically we give the backgrounds, the animatic, and the different assets and puppets and so on to the animators. And then they're going to go ahead and, and put that all together. And that's the final uh, step with animation. Uh, and then finally, of course, we, we do some uh, audio mixing, which I've done um, most. Well, Chris, Chris and I have done a lot of that, I should say, not all of it. We've also hired... Uh, some help here and there, um, but uh, but yeah. So that's, I think that's pretty much the yeah the flow. Sounds like a classic independent production. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's uh, it's a lot of work. And, yeah, uh, it's definitely been a labor of love, and you know we're not uh, making money yet on it, but we're hopeful um, that it'll get to the point where it can be you know our our full time only gig, and we don't have to worry about uh, where we're getting. Uh, paid right well i think you guys are off to a great start uh robert thanks for coming on the show it's uh we, we love what you guys are doing um and we want to see more episodes of bitcoin and friends um and just for our listeners could you sort of explain the best way they could donate to the pro project sure yeah so if they go to btcandfriends.com uh then there's a link there to donate and obviously we'll uh, accept a bunch of different types of crypto there. Um, and it's fairly straightforward. 
Um, we're actually going to be launching a Patreon page as well um, in the next month, I would say. Uh, otherwise, I mean, really the, the biggest way that people can help, honestly, even more than money is to, to you know, retweet, to uh, share links, to get people watching the show um, and to get the word out. So if you go to Twitter, it's uh, BTC and Friends. Um, we're on Facebook, I believe, with the same handle. Um, so yeah, and, and obviously YouTube, uh, it's, uh, youtube.com forward slash Bitcoin and friends. So if you can just, uh, anyone listening, if you like the show or even if you don't like it, <laughs> but, uh, get the word out, but no, I, I hope you do. So yeah. thank you. Dude. Thank you. Uh, Graham, really pleasure uh, chatting with both of you. Thanks so much, yeah, Rob. Man. Really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks guys. All right. Take All care. Right, take care. Bye. Special thanks to Robert Allen for coming on to the show. You can check out Bitcoin and Friends on their webpage. That is www.btcandfriends.com. You can check them out over at YouTube at youtube.com slash Bitcoin and Friends. Or just do a little simple search like every other American does. The Bitcoin Magazine podcast is a BTC media produced podcast on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network. You can find us over on Twitter at Bitcoin Magazine. And you can find other engaging shows over at letstalkbitcoin.com. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We will see you next time.